0: You know, one day I'm going to try that uh, pulpit up there. I would do it today, but I haven't let the audio-video people know, and they would need to know I was going to do that, but I'm not sure how it would work. I'm kind of learning to connect with you, and with you, and I'll do my best, all right? Yeah, there you are back there. Don't you love that, that uh, reading from uh, St. Paul? The devil made me do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's our excuse. <laughs> mm. Thank you, Bill. You sounded like you really c- uh, connected with that. <laughs> well, I have a story for you. A boat docked in a teeny Mexican village. An American tourist complimented the Mexican fisherman on the quality of his fish and asked how long it took him to catch them. Not very long, answered the Mexican. Then why didn't you stay out longer and catch more, asked the American. The Mexican explained that his small catch was sufficient to meet his needs and those of his family. The American asked, but what do you do with the rest of your time? I sleep late, fish a little, play with my children, and take a siesta with my wife in the evenings. I go into the village to see my friends, have a few drinks, play a guitar, sing a few songs. I have a full life. The American interrupted. I have an MBA from Harvard, and I can help you. You should start fishing longer, every day. You can then sell the extra fish you catch. With the extra revenue, you can buy a bigger boat. After that, asked the Mexican. Well, after that... With the extra money the larger boat would bring, you can buy a second one and a third one and so on until you have an entire fleet of trawlers. Instead of selling your fish to a middleman, you can then negotiate with the processing plants and even open your own plant. You can then leave this little village and move to Mexico City, Los Angeles, or even New York City. From there, you can direct your huge new enterprise. How long would that take, asked the Mexican. 20 to 25 years, he replied. And after that? Well, afterwards, my friend, that's when it gets really interesting, answered the American laughing, when your business gets really big. You can start selling stocks and making millions. And after that, said the Mexican, after that you will be able to retire, live in a teeny village near the coast, sleep late, play with your children, catch a few fish, take a siesta with your wife, and spend your evenings drinking and enjoying your friends. Know where you're going in life. You might find that you're already there. Isn't that a sweet story? Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah, right. I I talked about this in the last sermon I preached. I almost decided to stop preaching after I heard Jennifer's wonderful sermon last week. Anyway, I'll have to keep trying. But, you know, as I talked about then, Jesus tells us, like, it seems like to give up everything. Possessions, money, job, family. Because all of these things could be a burden. Sometimes it seems that life itself is a burden. Anybody feel that way? But Jesus is not saying that life with him is without burdens. Because it is. Life with Jesus has burdens. But the burden is light, he says. My yoke is easy. The burden is light. You should try it. What is the source of our burden, anyway? If you have burdens, what's the source of it? You can probably name some. One of the biggest things I think in our culture that that promotes a burden of kind is our continuing, unceasing wanting for more and more and more and more. Right? I wanted a new car. I finally got one. Relief from the burden of want would be good, I think. There was somebody asked a a philosopher. I forgot to look up who it was. I had it in some notes I had. Uh, What do you want more than anything? And his reply was. Enough. I want enough. Wouldn't that lift a lot of burden off of us? Dissatisfaction is what we kind of suffer from. Unwillingness to see things as they truly are. Unwilling to accept the immutable law of change. Change certificates. That's another story. Unwilling to accept the law of impermanence. nothing is impermanent. For sure, you and I are not permanent. Another thing that we seem to have a problem with, it adds to some burdens in our heart and in our souls, I think, is our unwillingness to forgive. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is hard. It's not just a switch you can throw. You say, I forgive you. We say that all the time for little stuff. Sometimes for big stuff. But, you see, forgiveness is not for the forgiven. Forgiveness is for the Forgiver to unload from your heart and your soul something you've been holding on to. And if it's something big, you've been holding on to it for all your life. Sometimes that you need to forgive somebody that's dead. Right? And yeah, right. You do. Unload that from your heart. And let's talk about compassion. Compassion is is spoken of all the time in Scripture. Sometimes we're just indifferent to others. Sometimes we, we pity others. And there's a distinction between pity and compassion, you see. When you pity someone... And, and let me just say, there's nothing wrong with pity. It's it's an okay thing, but just know when you when you when you're feeling pity toward someone, you're putting yourself here when they're here. See what I mean? With compassion, you're walking in their sandals. You know where they are, and you have compassion with them. It reminds me of a a phrase I heard this morning. Uh, Someone used it. It's a cliche. You hear it all the time. You see, let's see, let me think. You see uh, a a lady, a little little old lady, (laughs) pushing a, a grocery cart down the street downtown somewhere with everything she owns in that grocery cart. And you say... What do you say? Somebody say, it. "Go ahead. There, but for the grace of God, go I." Well, what is that saying? Huh? What are you saying? Are you saying that God's grace is greater for me than it is for her? Think about it. It's not true. So I think we'll keep on saying that phrase. I know it's just in part of our language, but when you say it, just stop for a minute and think, what did I just say? Here's another thing that I think bothers us that we carry around that we shouldn't. Does anybody know the word schadenfreude? You know that? It's a German word. Joy over the harm or misfortune that comes to another. He got his (laughs) comeuppance. You know what I'm talking about. You've done it. (laughs) I've done it. Let me stop saying you and start saying we. We've done it. Joy over some... so the guy that, that uh, finally got fired for, it. Oh, I'm so glad they fired him. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just saying. You could replace that with something that, uh, uh, in in the language of the Buddhist world, which I know a little bit about, uh, there's uh, an idea of sympathetic joy joy for the for the good fortune of another, kind of get it somebody uh here's where it gets hard. Somebody gets the job that you had your heart set on getting. Can you have joy for that person? truly, joy? It's hard, you know. Those things can make our burden lighter. It can make our job that we didn't get uh, a little less important. Joy for the success of another. I was watching the uh, Senior PGA uh, Open Championship a couple of days ago. What Was it last week or a week before? I don't know. Uh anybody watch that? No. That's it's golf. But anyway, so there was these two guys, uh their, their names I wrote it down, Steve Stricker and Jerry Kelly were playing and they were right up at the top. On the on the at the end of this the Saturday round, which is the next to last round, they were they were tied at the top. And they shot the same score that day. You golfers know what I'm talking about. So, and on the last day, at the end, someone else won, and they finished second and third tied. And they went off, I forgot to say, they had been childhood friends in Minnesota, all their lives, and played golf with, their, with each other all this time, and they went away arm in arm, just hugging one another because one of them won and one of them lost, and they were so happy. That's it. Gratitude. Can we be grateful? Can we be grateful for our our very lives? Our lives, our lives can be a burden. But are we happy about that? Can we be? I am. There's a a uh, Catholic monk named uh, David Stendel Rast, Brother David. He's all about gratitude, gratefulness. He, some of you may know of him. I don't know, but he has a website gratefulness.org and every day he's putting out something about gratefulness and some time ago it was some, some years ago i was watching a uh, interview program it was called lunch with bokhara i bet none of you ever heard of that but uh anyhow the, the interview was with brother david stendhal rast and a, uh, a jewish rabbi i can't remember his name one of some note, let me just say. And they were talking about gratefulness. And he was telling the story of when he had a uh, uh, what seemed to be a terminal disease, really, really bad, and he was near death. And he, somehow they saved his life, he survived it all. And he said, before that happened, I was grateful for a Mozart symphony. And now I'm just grateful for (laughs) (laughs) B-flat. Gratefulness. A lot of people here are familiar with the um, 12-step program. There are 12-step programs of all kinds that meet here at this place. I just think it's a wonderful blessing that you're offering to this community. Uh, It's really, really important. Uh, Addiction may be the greatest burden you could have. Some like to say, we're all addicted to our lives. I don't know. But... If you're familiar with the 12 step program, you know Reinhold Niebuhr's familiar prayer. It's called the uh, serenity prayer in most cases and uh I uh I know it well, believe me. Um and so I got interested in kind of looking up the history of that prayer and it the prayer itself is much longer than the short version they say. Uh, in the twelve-step meetings, kind of the first part, the most relevant part for sure. But I, here is the original text of Reinhold, Reinhold Niebuhr's prayer, and it's it's different. It sounds it'll sound a little different to you. God, give me grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed courage to change the things which should be changed and the wisdom to distinguish one from another, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hard way as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right, if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. So, if we could just let go of greed and hatred and delusion, live life filled with love, compassion, and generosity and gratitude, I think our yoke could be easier and our burden a little bit lighter. What do you think about the Mexican fisherman? Don't you think his burden was fairly light and his yoke easy? So here's a, just a short quote from Second Corinthians. So we do not lose heart even though our outer nature is washing away, wasting away, Our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For our slight momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. Thank you so much for your kind attention. I'm so happy to be here to speak with you today. Amen.